So 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Sometimes we don't really realize that, you know, what a challenge it is to think of having a relationship with God. For most of us, we've been in the church a long time, and to think about having a relationship with God is kind of something that we talk about all the time. And so the idea of just speaking to God may be something that's very familiar to us. And I was talking to a friend. Um, so one of the things I got to do in Madrid is spend time with uh, two s- students who were here working last summer, and I spent basically the whole weekend with them. And we went on a hike, and I talked about like why I, one reason I like to go into nature, and it's like I just speak to the Lord and tell Him what's on my heart. And one of the things he said is, Huh, never thought of actually doing that. Like that is something that had never occurred to him in his entire life. And it's just a reminder that something we might take for granted is, is actually a somewhat difficult concept. What kind of relationship can you have with the creator of the universe? And so that's a difficult thing that, that we got to remember to talk about with people. But then we also have another problem when we deal with God. As soon as we deal with God... We have the recognition, not only is he infinitely above us, but we've not done what he's asked us to do. In fact, we've done many things that are totally contrary uh, to what he's asked us to do. We've not become what he's told us to become, and that's due to our own lack of the use of what he's given us. And we have, in fact, gone in a different direction and built our lives around other things that were not going to give us the health and blessing and Glorify his name the way that he is due. So we have sinned. The Bible calls that sin, not being what we're supposed to be. And God doesn't take that lightly. And so the question then is, how do we have a relationship with God if we sin? And so that's what I want to seek to answer from this passage today. And the answer, first of all, we see what the answer is not. So... John tells us that what we should not do is to say that we have not sinned. He warns us in 1 John 1, verse 8, and says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And in verse 10, he says, If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So the way to have that relationship with God is not to say, I have not sinned. In other words, the claim to be without sin shuts the door. Now, we might say, well, why is that? It seems like if we say we have no sin, and it's true, then the impediment is God. Why would we not? If we have not sinned, we should say we have not sinned. And the answer to that is because it's not true. (laughs) We have actually sinned. All have sinned as we confess in our call to worship. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So to seek to say that is to seek to live contrary to the truth. And that's true not only for the people who've already, who haven't believed in Jesus. It's true for the people who have believed in Jesus. He's writing here to the church. And he's saying, if we, as Christians, say we have not sinned, then the truth is not in us. In other words, you might say we're not true Christians. We have not recognized the truth about ourselves. Not only before our conversion, but after our conversion. The, we never arrive to a point of completion in this life. We can make progress, but we don't come to a point of completion. We can never come to a point in this life where we say, I have no sin. And so we have to be on guard against that because it's easy to get to a point where we say, I have not sinned. We can easily think because it doesn't matter to me that it doesn't matter at all. We might not be worried about it. We also have, we also have confusion about this. Sometimes we say we've sinned, but these are things that, we, that are false guilt. We have a lot of false guilt. We think we should be able to do things that we can't. We feel bad because not everybody's happy all the time around us. We should be able to make everybody happy. Everybody should be happy with us all the time. We should be able to do everything flawlessly. And so we feel bad when we make a mistake and so on. So we miss the real guilt that we have. There's also many people today who just think that sin is not a relevant category, who want to be their own Lord and think they can determine their own Nature, that they could determine what's right and wrong for themselves. And so they say they have not sinned. And in the church, we can also tend to adjust the Bible to fit us. And we can kind of reread it in a way that never really challenges us. So we don't see it pointing out our own sin. That's what Jesus confronted in his day. I was having another conversation with my friend, and we ended up talking... I forget exactly why, but we started talking about the Ten Commandments as we were walking through Madrid. And I explained the difference between the Catholics and us on, on, the, on this point. And I won't go into that, but we, we got to the end of, of it. And I said, the, the last commandment is you shall not covet. Which means it's not just enough not to take things from our neighbor. We have to actually be content and not want things more than we should, and especially those things that God hasn't given to us, that he's given to our neighbor. And it was interesting because my friend said, wow, that is really hard. <laughs> and he, says, he began to see like, wow, man, I'm not really lining up here. And that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. He was kind of like domesticated the Bible to fit him. And then he heard... You shall not covet. And he was like, I'm doomed. Read it in Romans 7. If that's where we are, then we're not going to experience the forgiveness that God has for it or the sense of forgiveness that God has for us. He warns us that such an attitude of not having sin says the truth is not in us and that we, are, that we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So it's crucial that we do not say, I have not sinned. But then they say, well, there is something that we should say. We should say, I have sinned. And the ir- irony of it is the person who says, I have not sinned, will not find forgiveness. But the person who recognizes they have sinned will find forgiveness. It was interesting. Um, as I began using for my devotions, 
the Book of Common Prayer, one thing in each of the little services they have, they begin with a confession of sin. And it was a reminder to me that that should be part of our life, that we recognize that we're not what God has called us to be and that that's not okay. And so we need to say it and be continuing throwing upon ourselves upon the Lord's mercy. And really, if you look at the prayer that our Lord gave us, it's right there in the middle of it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I had an interesting experience of of thinking about forgiveness and confession when I was in Madrid. On Thursday night, I had hoped to go to an evangelical church. Uh, There was one right around the corner from where I was staying. So I went there about 7 o'clock when they said the service was, and I just stood out there, and nothing happened. And the doors didn't open, and it didn't look like anything was happening. And I really wanted to go to church, and I really wanted to connect. I found out later they do the Thursday night service on Zoom. And so I was disappointed with that. So I decided, you know, I'm going to go for a walk. And down from where I was, there was a place you walked by the Royal Cathedral and then the Royal Palace, and then lead to a large court plaza and and the opera, and it's lit up at night, and it's a beautiful place. So I just, I'm going to go contemplate. So as I walked, I, there was the cathedral, which is the seat of the Archbishop of Madrid. And I noticed a lot of people coming out. And so I saw, I went, I decided, you know, I'm going to go check it out. Sure enough, they were having a service for Holy, for the period of Lent, covering the stations of the cross. And I will say they did some things in that service that I would not do, such as praying to Mary. Um, I don't believe we should be praying to Mary. But they also still had the scriptures. And they read about Jesus. And they prayed. And it's like I have... And there was a repetition of the prayer. And the archbishop was there leading. And he says, Peque, Señor. Peque. I have sinned, Lord. I have sinned. And just seeing that. And it was like... I had already been meditating on this passage. And it was like the Lord was there speaking to me and calling me to confession, calling me to confession, calling me to seek my righteousness somewhere else. And so there we confess our sins. And that's what we're called to do. And there's a couple different ways in which we confess our sins. One is we confess our sins more generally. Is that our condition is such that we're inclined to do all sorts of things we shouldn't There's a lot in us that's not right. And we know that there's things we've done wrong that we can't even express or we don't even have not yet been made aware of. And um, there we should so say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of your grace. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But then also there's times when we sin in very particular ways that the Lord brings to our conscience. And when we do, the call is to say that, I have sinned. And we confess not only often to the Lord, we don't have to confess to a priest. We don't have to confess to anyone here. But I've often found that not only when when my conscience is struggling with sin, to confess not only to the Lord, but to a brother or sister in Christ, and to hear them say, you're forgiven, is like a word from the Lord and can encourage us on our way. When they can say to us, you know, you've fallen, 
But pick yourself back up. By God's grace, dust yourself off. Keep walking. Because the Lord forgives. It's a powerful thing. And we can avail ourselves of that by sharing that with one another. So I recommend that to you when you're struggling. Now, because we say there's forgiveness does not mean that we want to embrace our sin. Notice he says, "If I write to this to you so that you will not sin. That's always the goal. We never embrace sin and say, well, um, I sin, God forgives. It's a beautiful relationship, you know. It's, it's that we don't want to sin. But when we do, we have a place to go. And so why does it work to confess our sins and find forgiveness? Well, we might say that it doesn't seem like just confessing your sin would mean forgiveness. It just means that we know now that we merit punishment from the Lord. We merit his wrath. But there's something else here that's hugely important. And that is this. That we have an advocate. We have someone who will help us. Another conversation I had was in that ghost town. (laughs) One guy was out there. Everything was closed at 440. Siesta time. But one guy was there traveling. And uh, so I just started asking him some questions about, you know, can we get some food or drink? We've been walking a long way. And uh, so he led me to places. This place is going to open in 20 minutes, more or less. So I had 20 minutes, and I had a conversation. Turns out he was a butler down a little bit lower from the mountain. We were up a little bit in the mountain, who worked in a house there. And uh, he had some suggestions for me. Uh, he knew how to get food and where to get it cheaply. And, and so he helped us out. But then we just started talking about life. And somehow he says, you know, and, and some people get so discouraged, you know, when they make a mistake. But, you know, we're all human, and we err. We do things wrong. And I said, and I said, yeah, you know, and so he says, and there's, and I said, and God is the one who can forgive us for these things. And he says, oh, yes, there is misericordia. There is the mercy of the Lord. And I was like, okay. And I said, and I said, I believe that that's because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And he says, I absolutely believe that. And so it was a huge encouragement to me. It's like, wow, there's the light. And uh, so, so, um, so it, that's what this passage is saying to us, that we have an advocate with the Father. And it's one of the most amazing statements in the Bible, I think. So everybody has their own thought on that. But for me, this one is like, well, as I've thought about it, I've just been like blown away by it. It says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have someone who's going to argue our case. Now, if you think about it, what case would Jesus want to argue before the Lord that they are in the right? Not that of the sinner, but of the righteous. What case is he going to say, here, these people are in the right. It's the people who've done the right. But he actually says, if we sin, then we have someone who's going to argue our case. Seems like that's the craziest thing in the world to take up the case of those who are clearly guilty. But that's what he says. We've got someone who's going to take our case. And so if you are here today and you feel your sin, you feel that you've done wrong, then let me tell you that you have someone who will argue your case before the Father in heaven. 
That is an astonishing thing. I have no idea why Jesus would want to take up my case and present it before the Father. Well, I do. But in and of itself, (laughs) right? So how can he argue our case? Well, it says, he is the sacrifice for our sins. Because what he says is not, hey, they've sinned, but you should let them go. Because it's, it's really not that bad. You know, it was, there's extenuating circumstances. They didn't know, you know. That's not what he says. He doesn't argue that. And he says, his argument is this. They've sinned. It's really wrong. It's really bad. It really deserves punishment. But I've taken that punishment. Here's the wounds. Remember. That's what he says to the father. And so he has not just a good, he doesn't have good odds in this case. He says, lawyers will say, you know, I think there's about a 40% probability that we could get this. He has 100% because he actually has paid for our sin. There's no answer to that. I've done it. I've done what is necessary. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. We've all gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we need to have no doubt that we can stand before the Lord righteous because of what Jesus has done. My friends, that's the central message of our faith. It is what we're called back to again and again. Many of us have been Christians for a long time. I don't ever remember a time when I wasn't a Christian. And by that I mean I don't ever remember a time where I didn't see my sin, my need for Jesus, and want to follow him. But I've done a lot of things wrong since then. I still need this message. I still need to hear the forgiving word. And that's what the Lord's Supper calls us back to again and again. That's why we come back to it again and again. It's saying to us, what is the foundation of the church? Christ given for us so that we could be forgiven of all our sins and renewed by the power of his life given to us. That's what we are called to. It's telling us again and again to get every spiritual blessing, every blessing for now and for eternity is a gift freely. Come to the water of life. Take freely and receive. That is the offer. Whether we've never come to Christ or whether we've been with Christ for 40 years or 80 years, the Lord is saying to us, come to the water of life freely. And what about those on the outside who've not yet come? There's a message for them as well. There's a message for them as well. Because he's a propitiation not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. There's nothing that's insufficient about his sacrifice that would keep anyone who wants to come from receiving exactly what they need. It's always available for anyone who will come. And they don't need to know that much. Like the thief on the cross. They can say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he'll say, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so we have a message to be ambassadors for Christ. To say, tell people how free it is to come back to the Lord. To have a relationship with him that is given as a free gift. This is the central point of the Christian faith. The free gift because of what Jesus has done. Everything comes together here. So let's keep it central. 
in our hearts, our homes, our activities, and our church. Amen.